This is the Irrelevant Information Podcast, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is Governor Sisyphus and Another Corinthian. I've been watching this old anime show that I used to watch as a kid. In Spanish, it was called Caballeros del Zodiaco. In English, it's called Saint Seiya. Now, I hesitate to describe it because it's objectively very strange, but essentially it's about superhuman knights that go by the title of saint, that wear armor whose design is based on constellations, and defend a human manifestation of the Greek goddess Athena. Now there's three tiers of saints, there's bronze saints, which are the weakest, there's silver saints, which are the middle ones, and then there's gold saints. And there's only 12 gold saints and their armors are based on the 12 signs of the zodiac. Now, those 12 saints live in the sanctuary in Greece, which is like the Acropolis. Anyway, it's a Japanese cartoon about Greek mythology and the Zodiac, and it's very weird. <laughs> Obviously, like, honest, just Google it or look it up on Netflix or something. It, I grew up with it. It's a good show, but it's objectively weird. Like, the concepts are all over the place. Anyway, that cartoon reminded me of Greek mythology, and that made me think of Sisyphus. You know, the guy with the unending, mind-numbing, crushing task that he's doomed to repeat for eternity? And then I realized, Texas is led by Sisyphus. Like all Greek mythology, the story of Sisyphus is long and convoluted and incredibly bloody. I'm going to try my best to tell it to you in a concise and clear way, but please bear with me as ancient Greek tastes for what makes a good story are very different than what they are now. Okay, so first things first, Sisyphus was a king. He was not only a king, but he founded a city. He founded the city of Corinth, as in the book of Corinthians in the Bible, you know, that Corinth. And according to storytellers, he was one of the sneakiest, smartest people around, but he was also a pretty big scumbag. For example, he was a huge fan of killing guests and travelers, which even in the ancient era was seen as a bad guy move. He was also wickedly horny. I mean, the man seduced his niece in a plot to kill his brother. What Sisyphus is perhaps most famous for, though, is his attempt to cheat death, or his multiple attempts to cheat death. So this story starts off really weird because as anyone who's done even basic Greek mythology research knows, Zeus, the big thunder god, was a pretty big deviant. And this story starts off with Zeus. Zeus took the shape of an eagle and stole a nymph, like a naked lady, in the river who happened to be the daughter of a river god. Now the river god chased down Zeus, who just so happened to fly past Corinth, the city that Sisyphus ruled, and our boy snitched to the river god where Zeus went to in exchange for a spring to flow from his palace. Zeus, like all horny dudes, was super angry when someone snitched on his woman's snatching ways, so he ordered death to tie up Sisyphus in the underworld and keep him there forever. Sisyphus, ever the sneaky man, realized something was up when Death showed up out of nowhere with chains, so he asked Death to give him a step-by-step -step on how the chains worked. For some reason, Death obliged him and started showing him where you plug in the chains or whatever it is he was showing him when Sisyphus jumped on Death and trapped Death in its own chains. 
This caused death to just stop being a thing for humans, meaning nobody was dying, which that's great, right? Nope, not for Ares, the god of war. He hated this. He was out there filling the hearts of men with rage and watching battles and nobody was dying. He was like, what's the point? It's like he was watching the 2K League instead of the real NBA. So Ares decides to talk to the manager and head down to see what's up with death, only to find death tied up in his own chains. Ares frees him and death is now really angry at Sisyphus. But before death could come get his cold hands on him, Sisyphus convinces his niece, aka his wife, to throw his naked body in the middle of the public square, which somehow kills him the right way and he ends up on the shores of the river Styx, where he complains to Persephone, the goddess of the underworld, that his wife disrespected him by yeeting his naked body and not properly burying him. Therefore, he asked for permission to go torture her. He gets permission granted by Persephone, so he goes back to the real world and torments his wife, but then refuses to go back to the underworld. He's just, I'm just going to hang out here. <laughs> Until finally, Hermes, you know, the god with the wings on his shoes, forces him down to the underworld. So after trying to cheat death twice, Zeus decides enough is enough, and he's got to punish this dude seriously, which is the part of the story almost everyone knows. His punishment is he's got to roll a huge boulder up a steep hill forever, for all eternity. For attempting to outsmart nature, Sisyphus was punished with an endlessly repeating mind-numbing task. So I told you that was a convoluted story, but I mean, the dude tried to cheat death twice. The gods get angry. They punish him to do something incredibly boring and mind-numbing and endless. Forever. <laughs> so... Another ruler responsible for the well-being of his people, instead of focusing on them, considered himself smarter than everyone else, smarter than the countless doctors and scientists who are studying the world, and instead of listening to them, he told his people to go out and quite literally cheat death, eat, drink, and be merry, gather in indoor places for as long as you want. There's no way this illness can defeat us, we're way too much for this thing to handle, we will not be afraid. Except you can't cheat death, right? People started dying at an alarming rate. Things didn't work out. And he's doomed his people to repeat the endless, mind-numbing task of rolling that stupid rock up the hill again. Because that's what this quarantine is. It's just rolling a rock up a hill, only for it to roll back down, and the last three months meant nothing. All because Governor Sisyphus opened up the state and tried to cheat death. Now, honestly, Sisyphus in the story got what he deserved. In other tellings of the story, I like to take the viewpoint of Camus, who says that we must imagine that Sisyphus is happy. After all, he tried to be unconventional and is the hero of nonconformity. But Texas's Sisyphus, the governor, was anything but heroic. Instead, he bowed to the conformity of needing to keep an economy alive and the conformity of feeding the individual freedom myth. So no, the Texas Sisyphus isn't happy because he is in fact conforming. For a non-conformist hero in the face of a pandemic, instead of Sisyphus, I'd turn to Diogenes, the famous philosopher in a barrel, and in my opinion, the inspiration for El Chavo del Ocho. <laughs> 
Diogenes was a Greek philosopher and founder of the Cynic philosophy. He was all about pointing out and criticizing cultural conventions. He preached that virtue is better revealed in actions rather than just thoughts, and his hero was Hercules. Diogenes was born in Sinope near modern-day Turkey, but was exiled from his hometown, so he moved to Athens, then ended up in Corinth, the same city that Sisyphus founded. Like I said earlier, Diogenes was a cynic. His beliefs were that all the rewards society offered were artificial, and that we as humans have complicated everything too much. Instead, we must return to nature, or we must simplify our lives to be happy. We need to stop the hustle and bustle, the grind. Diogenes recognized this in ancient Greece. Can you imagine how much more true that statement is now, or how much more he would believe that now? Humanity, according to Diogenes, had created a system of living that was incompatible with our well-being. This belief system informed how he behaved. Remember, he believed that actions spoke louder than thoughts, so he put that into practice. He was a permanent refuser of everything. He refused to partake in the hypocrisy of the society that he was living in. And he did so in a very performative way. I mean, he lived in a barrel for crying out loud, but he was always around. He didn't run away. He lived in a constant state of refusal, but he was a living refutation of his world. He was a non-participant, but he was visible and he served as a mirror for people to see their actions and judge their motivations when reflected against his weird actions. Now, here's an example. And what is perhaps my favorite story about him, when word reaches Corinth that Philip and the Macedonians are approaching the city and they're planning to attack, immediately the entire city is in a frenzy. You know, they start working and gathering weapons and patching fortifications and sharpening weapons. And Diogenes notices that everyone is making themselves busy. So he grabs his barrel and starts rolling it up and down the main square with all his energy, just running back and forth, pushing his barrel. Just I can just picture him running almost naked, pushing this big barrel where, that he was sleeping in just a few hours ago. And people are thrown off and ask him what he's doing. And he replied, I'm just making myself look as busy as the rest of you. <laughs> he's pointing out how ridiculous everyone pretending to be putting up a fight were. The simple fact is none of those people there were in the army. The fight isn't happening there. You're not a warrior. Calm down. Wait it out and relax. And that's how you do nonconformity. <laughs> Sisyphus and Diogenes. One of them tries to cheat death by thinking too highly of himself and pays the price of mind-numbing work. The other, when confronted with an unstoppable foe, instead of falling in line with the calls to go out and produce and work and don't be scared, is wise enough to see how ridiculous that all is and instead, stand aside, sit back, and wait, and see. Because sometimes the best action is inaction. And this pandemic won't be solved by a strong economy or a strong jobs report. Don't conform to the calls of society that the Sisyphuses in power are making to quote, reopen this country. Instead, now is the time to be like Diogenes challenge the customs, practices, conventions, 
driving forces behind why we should go out and tempt fate. Perhaps now is the time to be a cynic, not of nature, but of the relentless push to produce, to spend, to be a number in a balance sheet instead of a human being. The good thing is, all of the Sisyphuses can be voted out of power, unlike the ancient Greek ones. And hopefully, there's enough Diogenes born in this time to break the systems that have made it okay to risk people's lives so callously. One can only hope. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, share it with a friend, please, or post it on social media. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or podchaser.com if you haven't done so. Thank you for listening. Um, There's links in the show notes if you want to support this podcast. See you next time. And as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.